what triggered this bizarre behavior. Journey into the cold heart of northern darkness with Nordic crimes. That case uh, became like a scene from a horror movie. A new true crime documentary series that chilled the bone. The hunger for killing is increasing in the course of these homicides. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nordic Crimes is a part of the Acast family. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Uh, what, is, what is the podcast called? The podcast is actually called One Minute Remaining. One no. Minute Remaining? Yeah, it's, it's named after the voice that comes on and tells me I have one minute remaining. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So that's funny. E- every episode ends with that lady coming on, going, "You have one minute remaining," and it's she's she's uh, quickly become the most hated voice in podcasting. People hate when they hear the voice. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, man. Hello. And welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is episode one of my chat with a man who is by no means innocent and does not claim to be. He is, however, a man who has turned his life around. From someone who once lived and breathed the gang life, would have in fact died for his gang, and rose up the ranks to second in command in prison, to now focusing on a life of peace in his mind, learning, and his eventual release. I was incarcerated for um, three counts of first-degree assault, a conspiracy to commit first-degree assault, and three counts of drive-by shooting. And I um, have been been incarcerated for 10 years, and I was originally sentenced to a 45-year sentence. Wow, it's a long time. Yeah, it's, uh, they, it uh, was something to face, that's for sure. Yeah, they, they love their long sentences in the United States, that's for sure. <laughs> you are not joking. Yeah, man, I, I, I talk to so many people, we've got, you know, double figures and then one guy that's even got 100 years, it's just, it blows my mind. Yeah, you know, they say it's it's the land of the free, man, it doesn't make any damn sense because <laughs> they're so quick to incarcerate people and, and just, you know, Throw you away, pretty much. Yeah, and it, it blows my mind that the president is named the uh, leader of the free world. I'm like, well, you've got the highest incarceration rate in the world, so I don't know how that works. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's a beautiful country, man. You know, we do have a lot of uh, uh, like a lot of freedoms here and things like that. But 
at the same time, man, like um, the aspect of reform and how we care for our citizens, I feel, is, is lacking. I was introduced to Jamie Ryan by a mutual friend, Evaristo Salas Jr. Jamie and Evaristo are currently housed in the same facility and have in fact known each other for many years. So, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you've been in prison um, with Junior. You told me that he was one of the first people you met. How did you meet him? Was he part of the same gang when you were in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were we were running with the same people. And and then you saw him again, obviously, when you got to the place you're in, in now. Yeah, which was cool, man, because I've always liked Junior. Because him and I used to walk the yard back in Walla Walla. So I met Junior, man, and I was like, I think I just turned 23. And, uh, you know, he's older than I am. And so he and I would walk the yard and we would talk about philosophy and always have like these really intellectual conversations, which is rare in like that setting, you know? And uh, so like I became kind of fond of the guy, man, because he could stimulate like my intellectual side, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he's just a good dude, man. Like he would care. When we went to like, uh, when we had like little get togethers, he would always bring like food and you know what I mean and, and cookies. He's just a good dude, man. He's just all the way around, just a good person, even then, you know what I mean. And so when I got here, I haven't seen him in I don't know, man. It must have been like seven years because I was always getting out of the hole and he would go to the hole and so we just kind of like lost each other, you know. And um, I come here, just I've only been here like six months. I come here and somebody I was out in the beer room and somebody was like, hey, do you know that guy? And I looked. I'm like, yeah, actually, I do know him. I stood up and I walked across the room and I'm like, what's up? And he's like, oh, man, you know? And so we just started talking. He's like, what are you doing here? And like, I was just like, you know, man, I changed my life. Well, I started going to college. You know, I started working on myself and now I got a second chance, man. I'm like, I'm going home. And he's like, he started telling me about, you know, what's going on with his case and like the entire investigation and all these other things. And then uh, it's crazy too because him and I, our journeys, have been kind of similar as far as like the stuff that we study. We both started studying like Stoicism, Buddhism, we studied Islam, Christianity, and all these other things. And we started studying like what constitutes good moral fiber character and principles and stuff like that. And like those are the majority of our conversations now. You know what I mean? About character development and refinement. And it's just cool as hell to see how he evolved and how I've evolved and, and I don't know, man. It's cool, you know, to be able to relate with him. But, of course, prior to all that positive change, there was a gang member, a very angry young man. And like every other story, we've got to start from the very beginning. Um, so I was born in Tacoma, Washington. From, I'm from the west coast of, of America, but I've lived pretty much my whole life in Spokane. And how old are you, sorry? Um, be 32 here in like two weeks. So what was life growing up like in Spokane as a young guy? Uh, <laughs> uh, freaking chaotic, man. I had a very eventful childhood. That's for sure. I mean, we weren't like I didn't. I didn't grow up in like one specific spot, man. I've actually never lived anywhere longer than like two and a half, three years. I've always moved around my whole life. You know what I mean? So, yeah, man, very unstable environment growing up. I don't really know my dad. Uh, he left when I was really young man and I was I think the last um last time like we ever really spent any time together I was like a little over three so did you have a good relationship with yeah. your mother uh to be no to be honest no did you have a, like a stepfather or anything like that uh not growing up so I have you know five other siblings and like it's pretty much just been my mom like 
you know, that took care of us all growing up and everything like that. So, I mean, there were men that would come and go, but uh, I think the closest thing to, like, a stepdad would be my, my youngest brother's daddy. He was in my life for, I don't know, maybe like five years or so. So no no real sort of major father figure in your life when you were younger then? No, uh-uh. no I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't have any positive male role models doing it, that's for sure. So Jamie states that for him, school was of very little interest, which of course isn't unusual for most kids. I mean, I hated it myself and did extremely poorly. Jamie says, though, there was a couple of subjects that he did, in fact, love. I mean, not, not really, man. I was the kind of kid, like, like there's just so much going on. And, like, if I didn't, if I wasn't really interested in it, like, I didn't, I didn't try, you know what I mean? So, like, when I, if it was, like, history or science, like, I was there. But aside from that, like, I didn't really care much, you know? So that's interesting. So you were, you were into science. It's a pretty heavy topic. I mean, I remember science at school. And I was like, it all went over my head. I didn't get any of it. <laughs> yeah, I actually love it. I, I uh, started taking college courses in here, which I know we'll talk about later. But um, and that was like my peak, my interest to the fullest, man. I'm still a big old nerd over here. Bro, <laughs> <you know? laughs> at 15, Jamie and his mother would move from Spokane to Tacoma, Washington, where he was born. He says it was an attempt to get their lives back on track and something, in fact, his sister had instigated. One, my sister, my oldest sister, when she had turned 18, she had bounced and, and moved over there. She wanted a better life for us and everything. So she went over there and started busting her ass working and like setting the foundation to try and, you know, create a better life for the rest of our family. And my mom kind of, you know, wanted to follow my sister over there. And I was getting in a lot of trouble, man. I was getting in, you know, in trouble with other gangs and, and you know, just people. So she, like, she had had enough at that point. My mom says just going through hell with what she's going through in life. Her mental health was degrading. Um, just the whole, it was a whole hell of a lot. She wanted to be closer to, like, our family because our family's from over there, um, which we don't have much extended family. So, you know, it's just all this kind of jumbled up that made my mom want to take us over there. So according to the FBI, in the United States, there is a reported 33,000 street gangs, motorcycle gangs and prison gangs criminally active across the country. These gangs first appeared in the United States around the time of the Industrial Revolution, when people moved from rural homes to the city. With inadequate housing and few jobs, the unemployed would turn to crime for survival. These days, there are many reasons why people will join gangs. Some do it for the possibility of profiting from organised crime. Others might be seeking protection from other gangs. There's intimidation from gang members themselves, peer pressure from friends and even family traditions bring some into the gang life. Then there are others who are attracted to a sense of family, belonging and identity. This is where Jamie would eventually fit in. However, he says the gangs really didn't take on any deep meaning to him until he was older. Yeah, at the time I wasn't I wasn't like a member myself, but I I hung around with certain people. You know what I mean? That and basically in that life, if you're a hang around, you're pretty much seen as as one of them. You know. With the gangs in, in the area, what what sort of, what sort of gangs are you looking at? Is it to do with drugs? Is it just to do with areas? Well, here it's not so much it's not so much organized crime. It's not like you see on like TV or like mafia shit or anything. Like it's more. It didn't become like for a meaning until I started getting older. No, but when you're younger, it's pretty much just 
colors, reputation, and this is where I'm from, and that's where you're from, and fuck you, pretty much. I talked to Junior, you know, about the gang situation because he was similar, got involved with gangs when he was younger, and he said it sort of just happens. You just sort of hang around certain people and, and eventually other people look at you and go, well, you hang around those people, so you're affiliated with those people, and you kind of just sort of fall into it. It's not like there's any sort of you go out and choose a gang. It just, just happens. Yeah, I would say that they yes and no. You know what I mean? Like, especially where he's from, his is very geographical, meaning like one side of the town is predominantly this, these people. And it's like generational, you know what I mean? So families have been in this for, for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Um, and where I'm from, it's not so much as that. It's more of groups of people coming together, you know what I mean? And forming an identity, a lot of lost children and shit like that. People looking for acceptance from the home. Um, where I'm from wasn't so much as like, it's, it's not so much a generational, you know what I mean? Did you just spend a lot of time out of the home and, and then you, that's how you got involved with, with the gangs? Yeah. So it didn't really start. I actually wasn't even like hip to the whole thing until I became like, I don't know, until like I was like 12, 13, and we moved like back to the city. And like I started meeting people and stuff like that. Like, I don't know, when I was younger, when I was like five and six, like these people had been, been around, but I hadn't, like, I didn't, I couldn't really conceptualize like what the hell it was, you know what I mean? And so we ended up moving around and moving around. And then we moved out to the country at one point, came back to the city, and I started being, we moved to like a bad neighborhood, you know what I mean? And I started, clicking up with these people, going to school with these people and stuff like that. And um, that's what I became, like, getting really exposed to the ideas, you know? Were you getting in trouble with police at a young age? Uh, I never got arrested. Never. There was one time I, I had... I had pulled a police officer off of my friend. They were jumping on my friend. And they pulled a police officer off and they whooped our ass and then took us to juvie. And they just called their parents and take us home. And they gave us a pretty good ration. You know what I mean? That was pretty much it for my juvenile shit. It's not like you were in and out of, you know, police cars every other day getting picked up by the cops. No, no. Uh-uh. Jamie says that in his late teens, he would eventually run away from his mother's home in Tacoma and head back to Spokane. I actually ran away at that age and that was like I ran away because I was living in Tacoma at the time with my mother and I ran away back to Spokane and I started living with somebody with one of my friends that I grew up with him and his mother and um, I went to alternative school to go and get my GD and after that I mean I've pretty much been on my like my own since then you know what I mean you finally, as you said, you, you sort of run away and you're staying with a friend and you do your GED. So were you getting your life back on track? Uh, I, no, no. No, I wasn't, man. <laughs> like, I was doing it because it was like, it was like something that had to be done. The person that I was staying with was like, listen, man, if you're going to be here, like, I want you to at least do this. And I was like, you know, okay, I can do that. You know, because she, she wanted the best for me. It was my friend's mother. And, you know, that was like her only requirement for letting me stay with us so I went and did it you know at the time of my life I didn't have no higher aspirations I didn't think like you know what hey man I'm gonna go to college and I'm gonna become sophisticated and intelligent <laughs> and no I'm not absolutely not yeah, right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
<laughs> what did you want uh, out of life when you were that age, or were you just not thinking like that? No, man, I really didn't have. Since oh, so, my only like dream, really, since I was a kid, was like I wanted to join the military. I wanted to become a, a, a Green Beret, right? Which is like a part of the, the America's Special Forces, right? That was like my only dream growing up. But as I got older, and you know, I started drinking and and smoking weed and kicking and stuff. That really kind of just became my life, man. And like that's all I really wanted to do. I just wanted to go and kick it with the fellas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I didn't really have. Like, oh, one day I'm going to grow up and I'm going to have a house and things like this. Like, I never really thought about that. What were you doing for, for money at the time? Um, well, sometimes I would do, like, under-the-table work, which is, like, basically, it's not an, an official job, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just go and I'll work for somebody doing landscaping or something like that, and then they'll pay me, or, I mean, I'll sell drugs. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, Jamie talks us through the moment that would see his freedom taken away. And so me, I just pulled out my gun and I just started unloading on him. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Of course, it's no news to anyone that where there's gangs, there's violence. All right, back now with an update to that tragic shooting out of Sacramento this weekend. Police now saying they believe it was gang-related. Oh, it was a violent weekend around New York City. 16 people were shot in just 90 minutes in Brooklyn and Queens overnight. Chicago's South Side. These streets are home to some of the most dangerous gangs in America. It's estimated in the United States that 13% of all homicides annually are gang-related. In the first two weeks of October, there were two drive-by shootings in Spokane. In one instance, a 15-year-old died. Tonight, police saying gang violence is at the root of Sunday morning shooting that left six dead and 12 others injured in Sacramento. It was still daylight when a man identified as Dwayne Delaney pulled out a pistol and shot at two women in North Spokane last week. However, of course, it doesn't always go that far. And trivial gang fights and beatings are a common occurrence. And Jamie says that the violence in the gangs was where he, in fact, gained his own reputation. Yeah, actually, that was like my whole gig, man. That's like actually where I thrived. And that's why I didn't get my moniker. I don't know if you read or whatever, but I ended up going by Hitman. And that was because of like my willingness to do these things. You know what I mean? And, uh, 
that was actually what I was like, uh, what I built my reputation on. Not so much everything else, but my willingness to like, I'll pretty much fuck you up. <laughs> you know what I mean? What was the name that you got? Hitman. Hitman? Yes. Yeah, wow. Okay. Well, that yeah, I mean, that certainly spells it out for anyone. <laughs> I mean, as, as nicknames go, I don't think there's anyone sort of questioning what Hitman does. <laughs> I mean, I find it um, uh, interesting that you obviously, you had this moniker and you had this sort of name, but yet you didn't really get in trouble with the police. You must have been good at getting away with things. Yeah, I remember one time my little brother, had, he had mentioned that. He was like, I don't understand how you do all this stuff and you never get in trouble. And I was like, I don't know, man. I'm just lucky, I guess, you know? The Teflon Don. Nothing sticks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so Hitman, as he was once known, for his willingness to dish out punishment and retribution for the gang, wouldn't come out of it completely unscathed himself. Uh, there was a time where I got I had got stabbed in the back a couple of times, and uh, I was actually pretty fortunate because a couple of my other friends had gotten stabbed too, and they got it like real bad. I don't know, I was just fortunate, man. Sometimes I think that God had just looked out for me because I remember I was... I was on top of this guy and I was beating him who had just stabbed my friends, came up behind me and I felt like these pricks in my back. And I was like, what the hell was that? So I stood up and I turned around and this guy's eyes were all big and he's got a knife in his hand, man. And I was like, oh man. And so I'm thinking I'm tore up and I got a little slice on the side of me and I'm feeling my back and everything. And I mean, I was okay, but like, I think that was probably the closest. Man. I mean, I have a couple run-ins and stuff. I've been shot at and stuff before, but I don't know. I think that was probably the closest one. This is probably an odd thing to ask, but w- would you say that you enjoyed the gang life and, and doing what you were doing? In, in the moment? So this is, I mean, this can be kind of a deep aspect of the conversation, to be honest with you. But in the moment, right, I was so lost in life that like, and I appreciated the camaraderie and the sense of purpose that I had, that I would say yes. You know what I mean? But it's because I was severely broken and it gave me... You know, to be completely vulnerable with you right now, man, like, yeah, I would take out my my internal rage on people who are, for the most part, completely undeserving of it. You know what I mean? And for the time, it would, it, I felt as if it would heal this, this, this hole in my heart. And then the praise I would get from my homeboys made me feel good. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it was like a bittersweet kind of thing. You know what I mean? Jamie Ryan was a gang guy. He was fully entrenched in the life, willing to do what he saw as necessary for his gang. This mentality would see him getting a 45-year prison sentence. He talks us through what happened that night. Um, so that night, um, one of my friends had gotten, and he had gotten him and his, his, his baby's mom at the time had gotten a house. And I was chilling. We were chilling over there, having a good time, you know, and... Uh, we get a phone call. Our homegirl had this dude at, his, at her house, and this dude wasn't leaving. And so she asked us if we can go, you know, and kick him out of the house. So we're like, absolutely. So I go get my car, and I go to the gas station up in the neighborhood. And uh, I go inside, and I see somebody who's all in blue, which is like our, our rival's colors, you know what I mean? And I hit him up, and he didn't want any problems or anything like that. Like, he was like, hey, man, I'm just here for my family. But at that time, like, I'm, I don't give a shit, you know what I mean? And so um, I tell him to come outside, you know, to 
because I wanted to fight the guy, and he didn't want he didn't want any problems. So he stayed inside the store or whatever. So I go outside, I get my car, I drive around the block, I grab my pistol, and then uh, I, I start walking back to the store, and I see another car pull up, and this guy comes outside of the store, and these two men are talking, and um, so the guy sees me start the guy that I had talked to inside the store, um, he looked at me saw me and turned around and ran back inside the store and the dude the gentleman that had pulled up that he was talking to took off his sweater and threw it on top of the car and started walking at me in like an aggressive manner you know what i mean and so me i just pulled out my gun and i just started unloading on him so from there i uh i get my car and uh i drive over to my homegirl's house and extract the guy <laughs> you know what I mean? and uh and so I, I knock on the door i was like we don't end up, end up having to get down with the guy or anything like that but you know i open the door or whatever and he's standing there and he runs past me and jumps over the fence and takes off down the road and then she wasn't there at the time so i'm chilling in her house and then the cops come and uh somebody i just in the neighborhood had recognized my car on the police scanner and had called in the police. So they had surrounded my car and I'm watching them out of the window and um, I'm like waiting for everything to calm down. And so once everything calms down, I go outside and I get my car and then I pull it into the alley to, to back in her driveway. And I didn't even think like they had stationed like cops around and things like that. And so they watched me pull in there and they just came and swim. Jamie was off to jail, believe it or not, for pretty much his first time ever. And even he admits that he was intimidated about what he was going to face. I mean, everybody who lives that kind of life knows that you're going to end up there one day. It's not, it's, everybody has the dream of like, oh man, being the top gangster and the guy who gets away with millions of dollars. Yeah, but that shit really happens, right? And so I'm sitting in jail and like, I'm, I'm slightly intimidated, you know what I mean? But I mean... Like, I don't know, I get, I'm not no punk, man. So I go out, I hit the floor, whatever, and then, like, I got a bunch of my homeboys there anyway. So I just started meeting more people, and, like, I don't know, I didn't think that I was going to get so much time. I figured it's, like, a year or so here, you know, a couple of years there, and so I didn't know that they were going to break me the hell off. So I figured, like, oh, man, you know, I'll probably be out soon or whatever. I'm going to sit here and chill out or whatever, and then I'm going to get out. But, um... Yeah, I mean, and then I was still gangbanging too. So it was like, you know, I just kind of fulfilled that role. Like I started taking on the the way we function inside of, you know, a jail and prison setting. And I just started, I followed through. I did what I was supposed to do. And I worked out when I was supposed to work out. When education came through, I, I, I studied my education. You know what I mean? And then I uh, taught the people that didn't know theirs and just made sure that the floor functioned the way it was supposed to function. So we've heard about these educational programs before when speaking with former gang member Evaristo Salas Jr. Jr. told us about when he finally made the decision to break away from the gang in prison. Part of that was not going to these educational programs. But when I stopped, you know, doing their little program, and what I mean by that is so they almost have a system of indoctrination where 
it's uh, education. They have these little things of education, that kind of stuff. You know, things you have to do in prison, certain rules you have to follow. So I stopped shaking up with them. I stopped kind of talking to them. Um, shaking up means like shaking their hands and all that kind of stuff. I stopped going to their little education programs that they have in the yards, that kind of stuff. You know, and this was a real violation. You know what I mean? So this is interesting because Junior sort of told me a little bit about this because obviously when he went to to prison he um you know he was, ended up with the Hispanic gang and and he talks about these education programs and stuff like that. Can you can you explain a bit about what what that means? So we were just we were taught basically there's a certain way we function you know in inside of prison and outside of prison or just in incarcerated like circumstances you know. There are certain things that we're allowed to do, certain duties and responsibilities that, that people in certain positions have to do. And there's, uh, you know, basically to sum it up, there's, there's a way to conduct yourself and then there's a way not to conduct yourself. Yeah. We're to see ourselves as, as soldiers of a, a higher movement, of a bigger cause, and not to act like gang members and kind of shaping up a little bit. I mean, we would sit down and we would have sessions. We would go over our gang's history, you know what I mean? We would go over our rules of conduct and things like this and, you know, basically ingrain it in ourselves. It's, I mean, it's, it's almost cult-like. Yeah, very much so. It's very much so like a, like a religion, to be honest with you. And this is what you believe in, you know what I mean? Uh, this is what you will follow. This is how you will act. And anything outside of that, there will be repercussions. Religions are a little more forgiving than gangs. But <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not historically. Yeah, I was going to say, are, no. they are not all religions are that forgiving. <laughs> we know that you obviously you were you were big into your gang when you were on the outside and just family and stuff like that. At any point, once you were in the jail scenario, um, did you ever consider? Going, this I've got to get out. Of, I've got to do something else because I don't want to spend my life behind bars. Or I mean, I suppose you you said you didn't think you were going to be there for long. When I was in the jail, no, no, absolutely not. This was my life, man. I was full fledged. I mean, I was ready to kill and die for this shit. I was, I was what, what you would classify as a true believer, man. So you got like, you have like three types of people, right? When they're involved in games, you got the people who do it for the money and the power. You got the people who do it for for the protection aspect and to look cool. And then you got the people who wholeheartedly believe in this shit. You know what I mean? Those are the people, those are the dangerous ones, yeah. you know? And that was my thing. I took this, this is my identity. This is who I was, man. This is what I'm going to fight for. You know what I mean? Especially once I started learning education, it filled me. You know what I mean? It gave me a sense of purpose, man. And I was good at it. You know what I mean? Like I was spent hours memorizing everything. Man, like I followed this shit to a T to the best of my ability. Yeah. You know what I mean? When repercussions come, man, I would take them or I would dish them out. Like it wasn't an issue for me. This is the way we live our fucking life. You know what I mean? And so for me, it just being in county jail and meeting certain individuals who are further along in the process of being this form of gang member than I was, it handed me down, you know, this way of life. It just it made me pursue it with even more hunger, you know? You were a good soldier, so to speak. Yeah, pretty much. I was an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) So there's been lots of studies and research done on gangs and why people join them. And a lot of the time it has to do with a person's upbringing and their background. The lack of love and support at home, the absence of any strong role models can send some young people out looking for acceptance, security, a sense of belonging and even love, which is what could definitely be said for Jamie. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, honestly, man, like, 
the the black hole that was my heart at the time, even if I had the knowledge of these better opportunities and possibilities, right? I probably still wouldn't have chosen them because this is what was fulfilling me at the time. You know what I mean? This yeah. is what, what filled the holes of my heart. So even, yeah, Hey, you know, there's this whole world of over here and somebody were to show that to me, like hold out their hand and be like, listen, man, this all right here awaits you. Well, why am I going to do that when this over here is making me feel loved? You know what I mean? You have one minute remaining. And that's all we've got time for. But coming up in our next episode, Jamie goes off to prison. And when he finds out the prison he's going to, he requests to go to a worse one. So I was so adamant, like, I'm going to be the biggest, baddest gangster in history. <laughs> so they were going to override me and send me to, to, to minimum, or to, to medium custody, right? And I'm like, no, man, send me to close custody. I want to go to Walla Walla. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted, and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network. <laughs>